21st Century Women on HCR 104 FM and Cambridge 105. On today's programme, we'll be featuring women involved with hobbies, lifestyle and campaigns. I chat to Samantha and Emma from the Cambridge Drunken Knitwits, a group that get together in pubs to enjoy knitting and crafting. Louise Bullen runs her own business as well as supporting her daughter, who's a member of the Paralympic goalball team. Louise Wilson meets this interesting woman. Liz Kelly will be telling us about a group called WASPI, or Women Against State Pension Inequality, a campaign group that fights what they believe is the injustice done to women born in the 1950s. They're affected by the changes, of course, in the recent state pension law. That's all tonight on 21st Century Women. is Jackie Bullen, a mother to four, now grown-up children, businesswoman and owner of her own highly successful company and regular campaigner alongside her daughter for the rights of the blind and raising awareness of the challenges that they face every day. But let's start at the beginning because Jackie actually went to Homerton College here in Cambridge. So tell us more about that. Yes, I went to Homerton to train to become a teacher, um, which I did, and spent some time teaching. Loved the Cambridge experience. From from that... Uh, Taught for a little while, but as you say, I then went on to to set up my own business. Yes, indeed. You didn't initially come up with the business, did you? Something you took no, on. I didn't. Um, it had been something that was set up by a neighbour, a very, very small business that kept her car on the road. And uh, I helped her. She decided to give it up. I took it over. And interestingly, within the first year, we quadrupled the turnover simply by imposing several office disciplines. I decided that we would always be there to answer the phone. There would never be an answer phone during office hours. And that in itself started the ball rolling. So what is the business? It's Minders Keepers. Tell us Yes, what Minders it does. Keepers. We look after homes and pets for clients across the country. So um, when our clients go away on holiday, business, to hospital, they call us and we find them sitters to go into their homes and look after mostly pets. Occasionally it's the home only. But we literally have sitters and clients from the north of Scotland down to Cornwall and everywhere in between. And uh, sits can vary from anything from looking after one cat to llamas, micro pigs and small holdings. So the key is, I suppose, variety. Yeah, and so uh, who who are your sort of the people that you employ? Our sitters are mostly retired people, not all, but they have to be people with time on their hands and animal lovers, of course, mm. you know, the inclination and availability. So it often appeals to someone that's retired that's perhaps had pets all their lives and, and miss that when perhaps their last dog has died and they want the opportunity to travel look after to dogs s- but not necessarily have the responsibility ab- of their absolutely. own absolutely so you know it it tends to offer people you know something to look forward to because retirement can be suddenly quite daunting mm. when you suddenly the diary's empty so people join us some will maybe only do three sits a year some will be doing it all year round and of course it can top up the retirement income yeah and presumably the stretch by which they sit varies massively doesn't Absolutely. it could be sort of one day yes. or two days and well the, the shortest sits we do can be less than a day mm. 
that that's not our bread and butter. That's yeah. not the usual, but occasionally we'll do that for clients. The longest we ever did was two and a half years, and that um, that was one that had some gaps. So the client went away on business, and they would come back perhaps for Christmas or a few weeks in the summer. But essentially, apart from that, we had sitters in their beautiful home yeah. for, for that long. And it gives people the opportunity as well, I guess, to see different parts of the country that they might otherwise not necessarily go to absolutely i mean most of the sitters will travel usually within a 50 mile radius of their home Mm. but we we listen to what the sitters want out of it Mm. so if a sitter says i'm particularly motivated to do rural sits i really want to spend some time in london i'd love to do a coastal sit then if that comes in and of course it's a reactive not a proactive process i can only offer them what i get but i will try and match up what they're particularly looking for and interestingly enough, actually, weren't you uh, approached by ITV at some stage to because ins- it inspired a programme, didn't it? We actually had a programme on Channel 4 that followed two of our sitters around, which was very funny to watch um, because the sitters would uh, pack up their car, including their little portable organ, go off to stay in a beautiful home somewhere and, and set up. And I think it compared different sorts of employment in retirement. And uh, we were really pleased to see that the sitters that worked for us probably had the nicer, nicest job of nicest the lot. Job of the, well, I think actually, yeah, just uh, the idea would appeal to some people that you're kind of getting paid to go and live, essentially, in someone else's house, aren't you, really? Absolutely. Which is quite nice. I mean, it's not going to appeal to everyone. You've no. got to be someone that, that's flexible and perhaps... Because it's a huge responsibility too, yeah. you know, and that sometimes will hit a sitter as they arrive in someone's home and they'll call me and say, you know, goodness me, I hadn't, I hadn't thought this through properly, but I would say we're careful on who we recruit. We try to inform them as much as we possibly can. So by the time they do their first sit, they know what to expect. Moving on from the business, you also do a lot of campaigning. Your daughter, Georgina, is um, British Paralympian, in fact. Um, But her particular disability is blindness. And this is something that you've sort of taken on campaigning for alongside her. So tell us more about that. Absolutely. Georgina is an amazing person. She is registered blind. She has some sight. And that's one of the things that we find many, many people expect that blindness is either no sight or you're either blind or you're not blind. And um, in fact, I think it's only 2% of people that are registered blind have no sight at all. I may have got the statistic wrong, but it's, it's something of that order. Georgie doesn't appear visually impaired and therefore throughout her schooling and into employment she battles in that that people don't make allowances and uh, the challenges for someone that's visually impaired are enormous. Um, We noticed through her schooling that she would have to work four times as hard as as her you know fully sighted peer group because you know it took her four times as long to to read a given script. She'll never drive and so she now battles with public transport and all along the way she doesn't complain about it but the lot of of blind and visually impaired people there's a lot to deal with Mm. and so um, we have tried to support her but support people more in general general who perhaps haven't got the confidence and the communication skills that she's she has you know to to make the the public more aware the the 2012 Paralympics was huge in in creating um, a more open-minded and appreciation of disabilities. But I have to say, it's still concentrated hugely on the wheelchair, the amputee, and very, very something small. that you can see absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, the blind disability 
is is still um, one of those sort of silent disabilities. Georgie has been accused at times of being a fraud. She's also been accused at times of being an imbecile. Mm. And actually, she can't see. She's neither of those things. And that's just what we have endured in our own family. But I'm aware of one of her friends who, again, doesn't appear visually impaired, but in fact only has 2% of sight, and she uses a guide dog, of of being accused that she's stolen the guide dog. So we're very keen that the public become more aware that, you know, not everyone with a, a... a sight problem will appear so. But in in many ways, in many respects, the fact that Georgina has this has... You've turned it to make something positive out of it and you do a lot of campaigning now, not just for the blind, but also with goalball, which is the sport that she particularly um, partakes in. So. Yes, yes. Well, goalball is a sport that very few people have ever heard of. It's an amazing game to watch because the, the participants all wear shades. They have to run around a volleyball-sized court with a very heavy ball and they, they shoot and attack. I'm in awe of it. And it's an amazing sport to watch. Of course, I went to the Copper Box and I don't think I've ever heard an audience scream the way they screamed. And it was because they had to be silent for a lot of the time. But unfortunately, it's one of the sports that has had lost all their funding. And um, so we as parents, as supporters are having to see our amazing athletes fund themselves to travel around the country, not get funding to attend tournaments, and despite being very, very capable and... and you Didn't know, they, they recently win the European? They won the European. Well. They we had to raise money to get them out to Korea. But has that had any effect on the Olympics now? Or Sadly, no. They really? have no funding, mm. so we are we're helping raise funds, raise awareness. We know that they're capable of getting to the next Olympic cycle. Interestingly enough, though, this actually opened up the opportunity for you to run with the Olympic torch, didn't oh, it? Yes. What did that feel like? That was amazing. Mm. It was. It's still, as I talk about it, I get the sort of hairs come up on my arms and I still feel the, the shiver of, of the whole day. We all saw the the Olympic torch go around the country. It was wonderful. The Paralympic torch went round in 24 hours. And I must say, I stood in London on a cold, wet, rainy day. And, and well, I that's thought... that's unusual for Britain, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, the yeah. crowds are not going to come yeah. out. This is going to be a little bit of a damp squib. And the torch was running a little bit late as well. But as it arrived with me... The crowds were magically there and they cheered us every step of the way. And it made me realise it, it was the, the precursor to the 2012 Paralympics. I thought, mm. no, the, the crowds are still there. They're still going to support these athletes just the way they did the Olympians. Mm. And it was just amazing. Now, talking about raising the awareness, this slightly left field question do you watch The Last Leg? And what do you think they've done? Because actually it's carried on since 2012 and they yes. still do their presentation. I think they have done more favours to disabled people than you can possibly imagine. Mm. We're no longer putting you know, the dear little souls in their box. They've got a sense of humour too. And some of the worst jokes I've heard about blind people come from blind people. <laughs> yeah. and, and it allows that to come out. Mm. And I think if we're able to deal with disability in affectionate humour... Not cruel humour, but affectionate humour. We all feel so much more comfortable about it. Mm. It becomes more normal. Absolutely. It's something yes. that's kind of typically abnormal becomes normal and it's okay to deal well, with. Well, 
Georgie in our household has had to endure three older brothers who give her absolutely no no, no leeway whatsoever. <laughs> no and um, and when, we're, when she was much younger and she could no longer see our TV and we went out to buy a huge one, um, one of her older brothers said, it's a shame you're not deaf too because then we could have surround sound. <laughs> and um, she copes with that and that's what I see all the time in the Goalball Squad. There's a huge number of, you know, of them that just give each other banter and the last leg is just picking up on that. In the studio, we've got Bobby Jones. Hello there. And we've got Liz Kelly. Hello. And me, Linda Ness. Now, that was Jackie Bull, and we like to uh, feature inspirational women in this show, don't we? And uh, that was no exception. Jackie, of course, the mother of four, and championing and fundraising for the Paralympian sport goalball, as well as running her own business. So what do we think about that? Very inspirational woman, wasn't she? I think any mother of four tends to be quite inspirational. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think you're Used right. Used to multitasking. Mm. How do you cope with three normal, rumbustious children plus one child that's with difficulties? I, I guess, but you know, her ch- Georgie, I think her child, and I, I haven't met these people. She does sound like she manages perfectly well. You know, mm. according to her mother, the way she, she was talking, she said she, she's absolutely fine. She lives, lives a, quite a normal life. And she's taken up the sport of goalball, which uh, which Jackie is now fundraising for, of course. I suppose it's an even playing field, isn't it? When everyone's blindfolded and mm. doing a game, then that is great. Do people I get hurt? I don't know, possibly. Sounds dangerous. I didn't get to the bottom of how it all works. No, I'm not too sure. And I did mean to look... like Quidditch. It almost. (laughs) Yeah, without the flying, hopefully. (laughs) But yeah, good on her and running a business as well. The content she was talking about, I thought was quite interesting, where you're going to stay in other people's houses. Mm. Is that something that you'd find? I think it's a really good thing to do when you've retired. A friend of mine used to do it, either for dog sitting or um, to look after... Just, just you know, houses that she was presented with, and some of them were very posh. Oh yes, yes, really, she said really that. Quite yes. something, you know. Yes, I can imagine. I know. I've, I've got. Um, I live near people who, who've had uh, people in sitting and looking after their house and their pets at the same time. Mm. It does sound like quite a fun thing to do. Mm. I think you can. You end up going all over the place doing it. I wouldn't yeah. mind doing that at all. Mm. No, just the sort of thing for me. <laughs> I don't think the husband would like it very much. No, but no. <laughs> no. If you do it on your own, I think it could be quite spooky. Yes, I think it would be better doing know. it with somebody else. Mm. Do you think it's a thing that women would prefer doing rather than men then? Is that because we're nosy, Bobby, do you think? <laughs> I would have thought so. You think? <laughs> you think so? Yeah. So that's something that you would fancy fancy taking up. Well, hmm. well coming, <laughs> coming up in a little while, we, uh, we're going to hear you having a bit of a whinge and a moan, aren't we, uh, Liz? Well, You've yeah. got a bit, a bit, yes. I do have a bit of a vested interest in it, yeah. You do have a bit of a vested interest in that. It's the changes to the Pension Act. So uh, we've got that. Or acts. Or I think there was more than one of them, but don't ask me about the dates or anything because I didn't swap that up. You don't whinge, do you? (laughs) This is is something that's actually got me wanting to march. Really? So you really are seriously quite annoyed about this. Mm. Yes, I did get get that impression. So we'll uh, (laughs) we'll be hearing what you've got to say on that very, very soon. No, I turned wrong. Left your heart torn. Is that what devils do? 
This is 21st Century Women. Now, in 1995, the Conservative Government's Pension Act changed the age at which women can receive the state pension to 65. Women Against State Pension Inequality, or WASPI, agrees that the women uh, should retire at the same age as men, but doesn't agree with the way the changes have been implemented, because they say there wasn't enough notice, and many women born in the 1950s have been affected detrimentally. Our Liz Kelly here has a real bee in her bonnet about it. I'm Liz Kelly, and recently I turned 60... I knew that I wouldn't get my state pension at 60 because I had a letter saying it had been increased to 66 years, which was quite disappointing, to say the least. What I didn't realise over the past year, until quite recently, probably found out sometime last year, was that there is a group of women trying to do something about the pace at which the pension changes have been rushed in by successive governments. The group is called WASPI, that's Women Against State Pension Inequality, and you can find out a lot more about them at waspi.co.uk. There's a Huntingdonshire group, they meet at St Neots, the first Monday of every month in the community room of the Tesco Superstore and the group was kind of set up by two women. Their names are Heather Cook and Debbie Hawkes. You can find them on Facebook under Huntingdonshire Waspy Supporters Group. Heather Cook shares a lot of links from the Waspy National Group there. So they went on a march to London, to Westminster, on the 8th of March and it was pretty well supported. The irony of course was that a lot of women couldn't attend because they were still working and they're not able to stop working because they don't have their pension. They were encouraged to send emails to their local MPs and also to the pension secretary and so on to explain their particular stories and also to highlight the fact that they would be there on the march if they could be. I was one of those women. About 5,000 WASPI supporters got together and made a lot of noise outside Parliament to demand an end to state pension inequality. There was an enormous presence on social media, including a Twitter thunderclap and Instagram pictures. They had a lot of speakers, different MPs who were actually supporting. And if you've listened to any of the debates in Parliament, because it has been taken to Parliament several times now, Myri Black is very, very eloquent on the topic. By joining the WASPI group, you are helping support the legal action that's been taken to challenge the way that the pension change has been rushed in. For every year of pension change, so raising, say, from 60 to 61, there should be 10 years of preparation. This has not happened, of course. I've, along with a lot of women my age, have had a six-year gap deficit to deal with. And, of course, with age discrimination at work, no, no, there isn't any of that. It's a, it is if you lose your job at this age it's going to be very very difficult to find another one and then of course there's the fact that perhaps you're not well enough to work once you get over 60 not everybody's leading the uh, lifestyle that we hear about with the baby boomer generation so did you hear anything on tv about it no you didn't it's absolutely shocking that so many women outside parliament were making a noise and all that was reported was that there was a noise there was a demonstration in the background affecting audibility of what was being spoken about 
It seems that the TV channels were actually ignoring the fact that there was actually some news on their doorstep. Of course, pension information, people don't really find it that interesting. And I can understand that it would become a little bit less newsworthy. And we wanted equality for women. So if we've got it, why are we complaining? It is merely the fact that most of us have worked since the age of 18, if not 15. And we expected and were told that we would be retiring at 60. So to have to make another six years of provision, we're losing out on a lot of money. I think I saw something like £40,000 worth of money, but don't quote me on that. So what is the action that women can take? There are letters that need to be written, different stage letters that need to be sent to the government, and there's a lot of help on the waspy.co.uk website uh, to tell you how to do this, template letters. You just need to insert your own details at different places. It is a bit of a challenge to do it, but the more women that do this, the louder the voice, the more that Parliament has to sit up and listen. Next month, I hope we can have Heather Cook and Debbie Hawkes to tell us a lot more in the studio. Please check out waspy.co.uk. You are pretty cross about this, aren't you? I am. It's been very sneakily done. and It, it was mentioned back in 95, wasn't it? It was brought in back then, but... Um, then it seemed to disappear off the agenda. Exactly. Am I right? It kind of there was a mention of it then, then it kind of vanished. It's one of these things that may have been announced around about a time of a budget or something like that, and yeah. you don't take a notice of all, all that's going on, mm-hmm. and then life sort of passes you by, really, and suddenly you, you get to to that age and uh, you realise, my goodness, what's been happening? Because I thought <laughs> it was be like sixty two for me. I thought it had jumped a couple of years, and then finding out it was sixty six. Yeah. Bit it was of a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, I just expect to keep working until I drop. I think. I think that's the. Well, I think <laughs> everyone thinks that now, and, <laughs> I think they do. and obviously, um, the next generation is thinking it's going to be much, much longer. But I'm mm. not certain it's going to go up so much more. Um, I just think that 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 it's gone up quickly, a lot mm-hmm. proportionally. It's gone up one year for men six years for women and I don't mm. think that's particularly fair but I don't think they're actually looking at that I think they're just no. talking about the pace yes. as being an unfair yeah. issue because there's been no time for planning and you've got to sort of you really have to think about your pension mm-hmm. and if you've like me changed jobs a lot then your pension's in a right mess and, <laughs> and yes, it's tracking it, it all down yeah 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 well it appears they're not a specifically at a cambridge branch but there is a cambridgeshire south group so if anyone is interested in joining that then you know from the cambridge area then i'd recommend that you look up that, that. you're um, also advised if there isn't one in your area to uh, there's plenty of advice on how to set one up in your area Mm-hmm. So, you know, other areas of Cambridgeshire might may think b- about doing that. And it's also worth mentioning that the MP for Cambridgeshire South, Heidi Allen, is a member of the Work and Pension Select Committee. So if you want to uh, contact her and make your views known to her, then it's probably worthwhile. Now, moving on to our next item. New research has found that 80% of parents in the UK believe there's too much pressure in kids to live up to society's expectations and they they grow up too quickly. 79% said that this pressure is limiting children's ability to be themselves and discover passions and interests that make them happy. Broadcaster, author and mum of two, Cherry Healy, explains more to Bobby Jones. Remember the day
Cherry, do you think there's too much pressure on kids to live up to society's expectations? I do think there's a lot of pressure on kids to live up to society's expectations. I remember being little and slightly being really oblivious to what everyone else was doing. I think I didn't watch as much television. You know, I remember there being about an hour of it on. Do you remember uh, in the good old days, they didn't, the television didn't exist before six o'clock. So I think my kids are much more aware of what other people are doing. What are the main causes for this? Well, it's definitely a huge problem. Fruit Shoot have done some research and it shows that 80% of parents feel that there's way too much pressure on kids to live up to society's expectations of them. And the research shows that some of the big causes of that are peer pressure, academic responsibility and social media. Were you surprised by those findings? Yes and no. I was really surprised about how many parents agreed that there is too much pressure on kids. And I think it shows that it's a, it's a really is a kind of parent-wide issue. But also, you know, growing up, I remember what it's like to feel peer pressure. I felt that a lot. I felt really influenced by my friends. And that was in the days before social media when you really have um, access to what everyone else is doing at your fingertips. But I think there's always been pressure on kids to do well at school and to conform to what their friends are doing. And I think, you know, of course, it's, it, it's as bad today and I think it's worse. What kind of age do you think this becomes a real problem? I see my daughter, who's seven now, I see her really starting to look around her and see what her friends are doing. Because I think before she's felt very free to choose her activities and her hobbies, depending on what she likes. But I see her, just see her really noticing what everyone else is doing. And uh, this, is a, this is the age when I really want to be conscious of encouraging her in whatever she wants to do and really being, being quite aware of that. Do you think that it's a good thing that she gets most of her inspiration from her friends? Yes, I think, I think you're right. I think, that there's, again, there's a balance because, you know, if her friends are doing really fun things, I wouldn't want to stop her trying those as well. But I also, if she had a hobby that she dropped that she was obviously really enjoying, I would, I'd wonder why, I'd just want to ask why. And also if she was really outdoorsy but her friends weren't, Again, I just want to be conscious of making sure I was encouraging those outdoor activities, even if necessarily her friends weren't doing them as well. Do you think the hobbies you did as a child impacted on your life and career choices in later years? Yes, I do, actually. I was quite active. I was always doing something, and I, and I still am. I love sports so much. I feel like it's been a big part of me feeling kind of happy I don't remember I did swimming and gymnastics and ballet and if it, whatever was going, I, I signed up for it. And I suppose also that gives you a certain element of confidence. You know, you don't have to be really good at something to try it and enjoy it. And my mum was really encouraging of me to try new things. I didn't even have to stick with it. She never made me see it through. She just let me have a go. And I think now as a grown-up, I'm quite good at just having a go at something without worrying about failure I think that is that is a huge, huge gift that she gave me, just being able to have a go at something and not be perfect. There are a lot of options for children to do things that are free these days. It won't all cost parents an arm and a leg, will it? There's so many options for free activities. I mean, I've got two kids. I mean, there's, there's a limit budget-wise of what you, can, what you can do. But if you do some research, you can find some fantastic free, free groups. And... 
I think especially in the school holidays, there's some great, some really unusual, great activities. I mean, recently near me, there was some free wall climbing sessions. And so Coco went along to those. And it was so, it was so fun. It was, we really enjoyed it. And and poor Bear just had to run around while we waited for her. But he basically plays second fiddle to her all the time. She gets to all these really cool things. But he's too small. So, yeah, no, it was really it was really wonderful. I love her trying new things. Why do you think it's important for children to embrace their individuality? It's so important for children to embrace their individuality because I think that ultimately leads to a happy adult. When you're a child, part of it is imagination and discovery and through everything you do, whether it's at school or in playtime, you're working out who you are, your response to things, social situations and activity. Academic work is telling you who you are and I think if kids aren't exposed to lots of different types of people and activities and um, culture, then I think they have less choice of what who they are as a mother of two yourself do you find there's a lot of pressure from society on you to push your children in all areas absolutely in some ways it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't on one hand you're you're pushed to do more you've got to be super mum, and your children have got to be wearing fabulous clothes and be able to read mandarin and do headstands and and on the other hand there's there's also the criticism of doing too much oh you know our kid does activities every night of the week and they're never in so i love the new wave of parenting which is look you parent how you want to parent okay I'll respect you, know your children and yourself. And if you want to whop in an oven pizza because you're going to have more time doing drawing with your daughter, then great. Isn't that wonderful? Don't make yourself really stressed because you've spent all day sourcing Himalayan salt for your chickpea stew. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, pick your battles. Be a great parent. Be a happy parent. And I do think with activities, yes, A kid having exposure to lots of different activities is wonderful. But again, it's all about balance. It's so important for it to be child-led. So notice what your individual child is loving. If they're not that into sport, don't take them to football and rugby and hockey because you love sport. I think it's learning your child, spending time with your child and, yeah, being being guided by them. Tell us about the It's My Thing campaign. I absolutely love Fruit Shoot's It's My Thing campaign. It really celebrates real kids doing what they're passionate about and champions self-expression and individuality. And I think in the modern age when so many people are comparing themselves to other, I think really celebrating uniqueness is wonderful. And I like that it's encouraging parents to be proud of their kids and share what their thing is. So no matter how crazy or unusual their kids' hobby or passion is, they can share it on a forum with other parents. What are some of the more interesting hobbies you have seen? So there's a fantastic advert that's going to be out on Saturday and it shows this amazing girl who is essentially doing gymnastics on the back of a horse. I think it's called vaulting, but she is quite amazing. Yeah, So that's, that's one to look out for. How do you think this is going to help children? I think this is going to be really great for children because if they feel that unconditional support from parents and people around them, I think they're going to feel more able to be creative and imaginative with what really excites them and what they find really fun. If they feel like their parents are disapproving of a certain activity, I think they're going to naturally move away from it and that would be a shame. So I think if there's support for parents 
just to let their kids follow their thing, then I think everyone wins, parent and child. And where can we go for more information? For more information, you can go to the Fruit Shoot GB Facebook page where you can go for inspiration for different activities and also share your child's thing no matter how unusual it is so whether it's making rocket ships out of lollipop sticks or gymnastics or swimming you can share your video of what your kids thing is no matter how crazy or unusual That was Chera Healy talking to Bobby Jones about the It's My Thing campaign. Coming up soon, I'll be talking to two Cambridge drunken nitwits. Yes, really. You and me. Samantha and Emma from the Cambridge drunken nitwits chats Linda Ness about what it means to be a drunken nitwit. I spotted a group called the Cambridge Drunken Nitwits and immediately thought, I've got to meet these people. For the listener's benefit, the word nitwit is spelt K-N-I-T. I'm joined by Samantha Richer and Emma Etteridge, who are both drunken nitwits. Welcome to 21st Century Women, ladies. Hello, Linda. So, who are the drunken nitwits? Tell me. The drunken nitwits, first of all, I can't take credit for the name because that it was started by a woman called Janie Messina in Oxford. And basically, the idea is that we meet in pubs once a week, a different pub every week, and we basically just kind of get together and knit and crochet and needle craft and fiber craft and anything that's sort of portable and easy to do while you're yes. chatting and drinking <laughs> nothing complicated no, and less complicated as the night gets on i'm imagining yes yeah anybody who brings along lace or beading or you know anything complex we kind of go really did you bring that that's you tend to have to rip back several rows just to try and get back to where it was Good. Before yeah. it's it bad. <laughs> you start the next. You pay day. for it the next day, yes. in terms of how many rows you have to take. How back. long you stayed in the pub? You mean how, lo- how long you stayed in the pub, or how many drinks you might have had? Yeah. <laughs> and um, how many people would normally join you in your uh, nitwittery? I was looking at the stats, and I think we've got about 185 members in total. But in terms of active members, it's more like. 60, 70-ish who come regularly, but then that actually really translates to a a regular kind of Thursday night or Saturday afternoon. 10 to 20 people varying on the weather. I think the most we've ever had is about 32 yeah. And that's like height of summer and we're in a garden somewhere. And it was last minute. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's a memorable one. Yeah, it depends on the venue as well because um, I know our Saturday group always meet in the same place, the same cafe. Yes. And I think that limits the numbers a little bit because it's not as big. How do other people react to you? You're all sitting there looking like Victorian ladies, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> reactions haven't we some people are really interested some people I remember one evening just came to mind when there was a stag do around Christmas time and they were all dressed up as Santa Claus and Rudolph and and there was an elf who was very interested in what we were doing they were all very lovely but quite drunk and um, just really interested in what we were doing I like if, if people ever say Oh my goodness, you're knitting my favourite reactions. Oh my God, am I? (laughs) (laughs) And do people ever join you because they've seen you 
out and about doing this. Yeah, we've given that lots of cards, whether or not people have followed through. I've seen people, yeah, I've, I've seen people knitting on the train or there was one woman just randomly in the middle of t- on King's Parade. And I think maybe she came along once, but I'm not really sure people see us and then join us. I think it's more through the meetup site and through Facebook yes. that people tend to find tend us. to actually find us and join us. And what about complete beginners? I suddenly woke up one morning and decided I wanted to knit. Unlikely. But if that happened, could I just come along? Would you help me get started? Yeah, absolutely. We would, yeah. It'd be, it would be a, a, a case of... Like, do you know what? Do you know how to handle them? <laughs> you might, you might say you maybe go home, go away, and practice a little bit with some stuff. Yeah, but we do help. Yeah, we've had a few people sort of want to join us but be a bit hesitant because they don't actually know how to knit, and they've mm. messaged us and said, "Is it okay for complete beginners?" And what we tend to say is, "Yes, of course it's okay." But we would recommend, because you are coming along to a pub and your attention is going to be divided, it's, it is a skill that you need to kind of pay attention to, to mm-hmm. learn. So what I always say is absolutely come along to the pub, but first of all, get yourself a set of needles and some cheap yarn, sit down in front of a YouTube video and have a go at a few stitches. Of course, with YouTube these mm-hmm. days, you've got the kind of granny help at hand, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. There's there's so many books out there, stitch books and pattern books. They give instructions on how to knit and how to crochet. I want to big up crochet because people forget that it exists. Yes. We call it the dark art. <laughs> we but do. The dark art. <laughs> but it's brilliant. But there's a real difference between looking at a very, even if it's a very good diagram on a page and mm. having somebody there with you. Yes. Showing you. And, you, and you know... It, I know it's not a real person, but a YouTube video, you can pause it, you can rewind it, you can make really, really good use of it. And what kind of things do people make? All sorts. Dog jackets. Dog jackets. (laughs) Little dog outfits. Boob hats. Oh, we had boob hats. Oh, it was uh, someone had a baby and made boob hats. Hayley had a little girl and for the baby shower I made a boob hat, one for her and one for the baby. (laughs) There's a bit of a thing because we are mostly women and... A good number of us have kids. I think, you know, there's been a few who've... Well, I'm thinking Hayley had mm-hmm. her pregnancy throughout, you know, being coming to the group. And there is a thing of, you know, feminism and breastfeeding in public should be OK. And mm-hmm. so there was a whole joke about making the boob hats as a <laughs> reaction to people not liking babies <laughs> breastfeeding in public. And uh, do men join as well? You said we're mostly women. You're not all women? We are the vast majority women. Yes. But we do have several male members. We do. Please don't tell me they're really, really good and, and, and knitting the socks off you all. God, oh, I, I, I know a particular man who is ridiculous. He learnt to knit about four months ago and every week I see him and he's learnt a new stitch pattern or a new skill. What I tend to find with the men who, who join is they think about knitting in a slightly different way, I think, in that they see it as an engineering construction of something mathematical and something very practical like that, mm. whereas I think a lot of women, are, they're mainly thinking about who it's for and what colour. Oh, that's really that interesting. Kind of so they've just got a different approach to it completely. Yes. Which might, for some garments, presumably work out really, really well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know one guy we have at the moment has been working on a scarf since he probably joined several months ago and he's worked it all out himself, this pattern, and it's looking wonderful and it's quite intricate and he's realised he's not happy with it and he's going to frog it. Oh, is he not? Oh, no, he's he's not going to frog it. No. He's going to what? Frog it. That frog means it. to pull it, just to it take it off the needles and pull it apart. Is that the technical term for it? Frog, yeah. frog it. it. Yeah. Because you rip it back and rip it, rip it. Rip it. Rip, rip it. it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make these terms. <laughs> yeah. What are you making is an incredibly potent question. It's like when you first meet someone, you say, well, what do you do? 
they can tell you what their job is, but it doesn't say a lot about them. But if you say, what are you making? They'll tell you it's made out of this. I'm using this technique. It's for this person. Oh, yeah, this is my relationship with that person. This is what they mean to me in my life. This is how I learned to knit. And it just sparks this whole story. And you can quite quickly get down to kind of deep and meaningful things. It's like, I'm making this for this reason because this person has this thing and or I haven't had the time to do stuff for myself so I'm making this wonderfully expensive Mm. thing for me because I have found that a a fair bit I know I'm what you might call a selfish knitter I don't knit a lot for other people and I've found quite a few members who are going no this is for me I've spent years (laughs) knitting for other people (laughs) and they don't appreciate it this is for me (laughs) isn't it quite an expensive hobby there's that old joke of you're looking around a shop and you see a knitted jumper and you go no I'm not I'm not spending 25 pounds on a jumper I can knit it myself and then you end up spending about 100 pounds on, on, on <laughs> material jumper for 25 yeah, pounds exactly. actually <laughs> but that said I think you know yeah the the yarn that you use to make a jumper is more expensive than what you would pay for a ready-made jumper. But that jumper's been made in a factory, and you're not going to get a hand-knit jumper with that. It sounds like fun. I'm, I'm assuming that you, you do have great fun when you're, when you're doing these meetups. Yes, absolutely, we do. It's fantastic. We, ugh, the, like, the conversations run the gambit from, oh, everything. We like to talk about the traffic in Cambridge. That's one of our favourite topics. <laughs> Cycling. Cycling yeah, and cycling. cyclists. Parking. Parking. <laughs> potholes. Um, pubs come up a bit. Pubs, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and all the way to... Politics. You know, personal philosophies, politics, life and death. And Anything. everything in between, really. And I suppose while your hands are busy, your tongue can get quite loose as well. Absolutely. Yes. You know, some people come along and they just, they don't, you know, they might not say very much. They just sit there and knit. You know, I sometimes worry and think, oh, are they, are they getting much out of it? But they come along, you know, they come back again. And yeah. they obviously do. That You know, it's just being with people and being yes. in company mm-hmm. and listening and soaking it all in. Yeah. You know, and lots of people see each other outside of the group. You know, they form friendships and... I have to say, it's going to sound a bit um, cheesy again, but a couple of years ago, one of them, Hayley, I mentioned her earlier, um, works down at the Maggie Wallace Centre, and she's an art therapist, and she gets the patients there to knit squares, and she had loads of them. And she said, I've got tons, and I don't know what to do with them. So we put them together into a blanket to raffle. It took us a couple of times. Mm -hmm. We all went round to her house on, like, a Sunday afternoon, um, and it was through the summer, so it was nice and sunny. Yeah. We could sit in the garden. And we were sewing them together. And I just remember having this moment of just sheer calm and contentment of people just sitting around and working on something together. And it it was just fantastic. And I think we, we lack that today yes. in society generally. And I think there's huge value in it. Mm. Well, there's something nice about working together mm. to put to make something that sounds absolutely brilliant so if anyone fancies joining you how do they go about finding you a lot of people find us on facebook first because there's no sort of commitment then and that's Mm -hmm. that's a global thing you search search for the drunk the drunken drunken knitwits on Mm -hmm. facebook Mm -hmm. and we'll come up or you can also go on the meetup.com website and search for Cambridge Drunken Nitwits. It's got to be Cambridge. It's a national thing, is it, this? International. International, <laughs> yes, really? Gone, we've gone oh, the drunken nit- Really? Yeah. So it started out the Oxford Drunken Nitwits, and then a friend of Janie's, because she's American, came to visit her, 
And she loved it so much that she went home to Boston, Massachusetts and started the Boston Drunken Nitwits. And then I left, I came back to Cambridge and started the Cambridge Drunken Nitwits. The there's thing no is, stopping you. There's no stopping <laughs> us. And, you know, if anybody moves to a different place, you know, far away, just start, start your own. Start up a group. Yeah. That sounds absolutely brilliant. So if you do fancy getting your knitting needles out again, then I would fully recommend that you look up the Drunken Nitwits and go along and join them. That was Samantha and Emma from the Drunken Nitwits talking to Linda Ness for 21st Century Women. The music was Ellie Goulding, Anything Could Happen. So what do you think about knitting then, ladies? I'm absolutely hopeless, I'm afraid. Handless. I was never any good at knitting. I did get my badge at brownies, but I cheated. You cheated? How could you cheat at knitting? Uh, I made a scarf, just got a stitch. That's the plain one. And uh, <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't very long, so I put it between two legs of the bed overnight. To stretch it? Yeah. And they didn't spot that, Liz? Well, there were big holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. See, I thought when you said you cheated that maybe you'd got your uh, your mum or your granny or somebody to do it for that you. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? That would have been a better idea than the Probably. stretching idea, yeah, to, my be mom, f- my mom to be fair. Yeah, yeah, she could yeah. have done it for me. But then she was a brown owl, so I don't think she'd let me. Oh, see, she was actually the brown owl. Well, she wasn't my brown owl, but ah. she, she might not. She might not. She think she had a quiet word then. She think yeah. well, they, they all stick together. These brown owls, don't they? <laughs> anyway, my knitting didn't improve much. It might have improved though if you'd gone into the pub. You see, this is the I like the idea. <laughs> it might I like the idea a bit faster, perhaps, and not not relax uh, and relax a bit more, so that I don't have to look at where I'm putting the needle all the time. That's what put me off knitting. Uh-huh. Is, is having to look for every stitch where to put the needle. I think that comes with practice, though, doesn't it? Because I've, I've noticed, you know, good knitters in my family, they don't even look down. No, they watch they the can telly. They can watch the or telly, whatever. they can do other things, they just sit there clacking away, mm. and the thing grows at a rate of knots. But I like the whole idea of getting together, you know, that, these people. That, that looks fun, yeah. I mean, I think I actually said to them off mic, it must have been like that years and years ago, you know, about 100, 150 years ago, when women probably got together and just spent time. Yeah. You know, knitting and sewing. Well, you still see it. I, I remember in Cyprus, it wasn't knitting. It was embroidery mm-hmm. or... Oh, the dark art, la- yeah, as they yeah, called yeah. it. Lace <laughs> and things like that. And uh, they'd all be sitting together just, just doing their work in the sunshine. And it looked really nice, you know, enjoyable. Yeah. No, it's lovely. I like the bit when she was saying about that she went into the garden and took her knitting in out there into the sun and started knitting. What went through my mind was, well, surely if you take knitting out there, knitting is wool, wool is nice and warm, and so is the sun. So <laughs> I, don't you get sort of overheated when you try and do that? I, I, I couldn't it depends how long it is. If it's draped over your knee, I suppose you would. <laughs> Good luck to them. I think it's a great idea, this. Uh, and the Drunken Nitwits, what a great name. Across Cambridgeshire, 21st Century Women on Cambridge 105 and HCR 104 FM. So Easter's coming up, ladies. Have we any plans? I haven't got any plans for Easter. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. I mean, traditionally, one makes a cake, doesn't one? A Simnel cake, I believe. Indeed, one does. And that's 
Marzipan? Yeah, there's too much marzipan involved in the whole situation because I don't like marzipan. So, mm. you know, I'm afraid the marzipan thing would have to be replaced by something else. Yeah, I'm not very keen on the marzipan. What do does, you think? Does Liz? anyone actually I love like marzipan? Oh, Liz does. Okay. Yeah. You're the one. <laughs> yeah, it's all my fault, yeah. Most people. I would make a Simnel cake, yeah. You would make a Simnel cake. Not necessarily. I mean, I, prob- I, I might do, put it that way. Mm. I have been known to make Simnel cakes. I like the decorations, the little chicks and things that you can mm. put in the top. Yeah, yeah. or just yeah. the balls representing the apostles. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah which is a nice Eastery thing to do mm-hmm. for some people, anyway. And Easter eggs. How do we stand on Easter eggs? The chocolatier, the better? Or uh, do we go for the hard boiled egg approach where we decorate it and then roll it along the ground? That sounds like fun. It does. I used to love that as a kid. Yeah, I used to do it a lot when we were kids. It, it was the actual painting of them that was such fun. Yes. But then you, you hold them and you get the paint all over your fingers. And... I think I used to use nail varnish. I think it was my mum's nail varnish that wow. we used to use to paint that them, was actually. Clever. Yeah. Mm. Yes. No, I didn't do that. I remember doing it with poster paints. Ah. Oh, you were fancy. I don't remember whether we actually ate them afterwards. I don't think I we do did. I do remember rolling them, though, though, do you? I remember rolling them along the ground until they were smashed to smithereens. That was, <laughs> I don't know if it was a thing we just did in Scotland, but we used to roll our, our um, boiled eggs. That sounds And then eat them. We'd go on a picnic, you know. We'd actually eat them, yeah. Yeah, we, well, as a kid, you'll eat anything, won't you? And even, <laughs> even, after, even after it's been rolled along the ground, <laughs> you, you just pick the rest of the bits off, you know, yeah. the shell, and eat Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Why not? But that would be part of the picnic, really. The spring has sprung already, so... It seems to be. It's been really, really nice this past week, and I see the mm. daffodils are out in, uh, in force. All, all the way along the road in, into God Manchester, it's absolutely fantastic. Have you, have you been across there? With all oh, the yes, I, beautiful I golden Lovely. daffodils. And, yes. and little white narcissists are beginning to stick their noses up as well. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Lovely. Very easter I've even noticed a lamb. That's one of the joys of going along the busway these days. At, at the moment, because there's been quite a lot near Swavesy. Well, in Swavesy, actually. Quite a lot of young lambs there. Lovely. And chicks, of course. Lots of chicks. Actually, my grandson brought them home over half term. And he had, I think, a dozen of the little perishers. Perishers? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't call them perishers in front of your grandson, Bobby. <laughs> my grandson had a dozen of them that they had to look after over the half term. And that was great fun for them and watching them and things. Well, that's it for today's 21st Century Women. Our thanks go to Samantha and Emma from the Cambridge Drunken Nitwits, Jackie Bullen and Cherry Healy. And also our thanks go to contributor Louise Wilson. If you're listening on HCR, The Country Show with John and Jackie Manders is up next. And in Cambridge 105, it's 105 Sport with Jack Swindlehurst and Matt Robinson. The April edition of 21st Century Women will go out on uh, HCR 104 FM on Wednesday the 19th of April and on Cambridge 105 on Saturday the 22nd. Until then, it's goodbye from everybody in this studio. Bobby Jones. Goodbye. Liz Kelly. Bye. And me, Linda Ness. See you next time.